We are so, so excited, okay? Every multi-level marketing leader out there should be tagged in today's podcast. Every CEO should be tagged on today's podcast. Hey, Melanie Miller. <laughs> Everybody leading somebody should be tagged in today's podcast. It is absolutely amazing how I devoured this, this segment. They call it part five, abstraction kills, why modern abstraction is killing us and telling you lean in guys take notes you're going to love it and we're also going to be covering how to manage these abstraction i'm maria mariano 40 years in multi-level marketing business these are tough times right now in the sense that yes covid technically is over meaning the the confinement is over meaning we're going to be living with it but in the meantime what harm has it done for two and a half years where we have had no human contact. Again, I repeat, I am Maria Mariano, 40 years in multi-level marketing, but also a wife for the last 35 years. And I'm very attached to my families, to my in-laws. And one of the things, you know, it has happened during COVID, there's been a separation between the in-laws and the family simply because we don't see each other anymore. So obviously, as we're getting ready for this podcast, my brain was racing. And although we, we said last night, we don't need to read this segment, I just had to. Another 35 minutes this morning, Monique, because it, it, it was boggling my mind on how um, being not being involved makes us totally uh, oblivious to what's actually happening out there, okay? So I want, I want us to understand, just before we dive into the subject, tag your people, share the podcast. I'm telling you, it is such an important podcast, especially now that they've also lifted the restrictions of not needing a COVID test before flying. So, Obviously, we have lifted all the restriction, and it's very important to understand this part of the podcast today. Thank God, Melanie Miller, we're going to Jubilee. Like, honestly, between us, thank God, because this is where we are at right now. So in this part, we will discuss why abstraction is destructive, maybe making people abstract by having more virtual relationship or viewing employees as a st statistic causes us to have less regard for them and significantly reduces trust. In my own company, in my own multi-level marketing company, instead of getting to know the employees, to reduce costs, they were all fired, bringing us to a new set of a, a, a smaller team, but that is absolutely unaware of our multi-level marketing needs. We are living it right now. So what I love about this is 
Dr. Melanie Miller will explain to you. There's a science behind that explains the abstraction. And I'm so happy you're part of the team, Melanie, because again, this morning I'm saying, am I really, really happy Melanie is there to explain it? Because I know you'll bring the, the common sense to that explanation. And then Marie-Pierre will give us the tools to be involved. And then of course, I have my own clothes for all you multi-level marketing uh, fanatics like me. So let's take it away with no further ado with you, Melanie Miller. Remember, share the podcast and everybody on Podbean, please take the time as you're doing as usual to welcome all the newbies on the Podbean. Good morning, everybody. So uh, I have quite a tough path this morning. I, I, Maria said she was looking forward to it. I'm sort of like not looking forward to it, but I am because I, I hate to think about the nature of human beings. And um, so let me get started. It's hard to believe that Nazi Germany happened, that there were persecutions of all non-Aryan people, that the Holocaust happened, that regular Germans and soldiers allowed it to happen. Their common mantra was, we were just following orders. And the question I would like to ask you is, would we allow that to happen? So in 1901, a Yale psychologist also wanted to understand this phenomenon. And he set up a um, scientific experiment, which was called obedience to authority. He set up the experiment using volunteers that he got from a newspaper ad. And there were two volunteers per trial. Well, at least that's what the volunteers thought. Actually, there were two people per trial. One was a volunteer and one was a scientist who was already part of the experiment. And the two, um, two volunteers were given titles. So the actual volunteer was a teacher and the fake volunteer, the scientist, was a student. And what they did was they set up a situation where there were a series of questions that the teacher had to ask the student. And if the student did not reply correctly, the student would receive a punishment. And uh, the punishment was the form of an electric shock. And so what happened was, um, they set up four different scenarios. In one scenario, the student sat next to the teacher and the teacher was responsible for putting their hand on the pad that gave the shock. In the second scenario, the student was in the room, but the um, teacher had their back to them. In the third scenario, the student was in another room, but the, the teacher could hear them. And in the fourth scenario, the student was in a room along where way the, the teacher couldn't hear them and didn't know about the reactions. And the, the experimenter explained to them that the level of the electric shock got bigger and bigger the more questions they failed to answer. And it actually went from slight shock to a triple X, which basically meant death. And so this was the range of the shocks that they had at their control. So of course, the, the volunteers were um, 
you know, quite nervous about this. They expressed their concern. And as they progressed through the test, they would start to sweat, they would start to shake, and they would ask to stop. Now, the first time they asked to stop, they were told, please continue. The second time they were told, the experiment requires that you continue. The third time they were told, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And the fourth time, you have no other choice, you must go on. Now, if they asked another time, they were allowed to stop. My question is, could we do this? And as with all experiments, the theoretical outcome was hypothesized. And it was uh, deduced that probably the reaction would be 2 to 3% would actually be able to go ahead with it. But the reality was quite different and quite shocking because 70% of people quit um, in scenario one. So 70% of people, um, they quit when they started to see that the student was suffering, right? And in the second scenario, where the student was in the room, but they could hear and see reactions, 65% of the volunteers quit before they were done. In the third scenario, where they were in another room, but they could still hear them, 60% uh, quit before the end of the experiment. But what was most shocking was that the people that couldn't see or hear what was happening only 35% of them quit. That means 65% of people were willing to kill somebody because they were following orders. Perhaps you can see why I wasn't that excited about the presentation this morning, because that is really shocking. And at the end, the volunteers only had concern for themselves. They just wanted to make sure they wouldn't get blamed. They had no concern for the students. And when they were eventually debriefed and told the truth, some felt remorse. Others justified their action and blamed scientists. And some even blamed the students, saying they were stupid and stubborn. Those who quit and refused to take part, they came from a higher moral ground. Now look at Nazi Germany. We can all see the types, the moral high ground. They were the people helping the resistance workers. They were the people who were really trying to go for the, the better good for people. We have the remorse, people who to this day feel terrible for what happened in their country. Then we have the people who said, I was just doing what I was told. That was the majority. And then, of course, you have the SS officers who actually enjoyed what they were doing and were doing it probably for the pleasure of seeing the pain. Unfortunately, this experiment or the results from it um, happen every day in our lives. We're, obviously, we're not putting people under shocks and pushing them to death abstract situations. We have managers in ivory towers. They never come out. They never see the people. All they do is regard the screens, look at the numbers, make decisions based on their abstract position. They don't care whether people are going to lose their jobs. And there are three very famous examples. 
the peanut company of America, when oops, when they found out that they um, had uh, caused people to have salmonella, they they had no regrets because they managed to get the stock out the door. In the end, they were closed down, but the immediate stress was stock out the door, money at the bottom line. Never mind that we killed nine people and seven hundred people got really sick. And then we have the Titanic, okay? The Titanic, they obeyed all the rules that were in place at the time, but they only had enough life rafts for 25% of the people. So guess what? Only 25% survived. They didn't break any laws. They knew they didn't have enough life rafts, but the bottom line said it's too expensive for us to put them on the deck. Oh, and by the way, we don't want to scare people thinking we should have life rafts because the boat's going to sink. Go figure. And then the third type of uh, problem is all of our, all of the corporations who do their very best to avoid paying tax. You would not believe the lengths people go to transfer money out of the country to go to the Canary Islands or, or other places which are tax havens. And Apple got caught. They were trying to evade paying tax. They didn't break any rules. But is that morally correct? Can people be in ivory towers and say, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just obeying the rules. That's like saying, okay, if your boyfriend cheats on you, it's okay because you're not married yet. You haven't broken any laws. So how can we as a society fix this problem? Business is done by managing problem, by managing numbers, not people. And Ronald Reagan started this process by sacking 11,000 air traffic controllers when they were just fighting for better working conditions. A leader who embraces the responsibility of the higher moral ground, they are somebody who can really put people as part of the equation. They will not perpetuate the problems that currently exist. Maybe we'll have to make sacrifices to make that happen. But in the end, there's a greater benefit for all. And the good news is that we can all do something about it. And Marie-Pierre is going to uh, uh, expand on that idea. Thank you, Marie-Pierre. Thank you, Melanie. Yes, exactly. So there's a Montenegro talk about it in his book, uh, to tackle the danger of abstraction and to try to keep people real and accountable. So there's five rules you want to understand to managing the abstraction and make sure that, yes, you don't manage numbers, but yes, people. So number one, he call it keep it real. So bring the people together. So the internet can give us a deep and trusting relationship. Trust in form in person. So when possible, choose meeting in person rather than communicating virtually. And physical proximity will help tremendously in developing trust and creating space for more compassion. The fact of the matter is to form a deep relationship, real human interaction is needed. So by real, I mean face to face. So because no matter how real it feels when we interact online, we cannot, cannot simply feel what they feel. 
So social media gives you a platform to actually do things you wouldn't do in real life and it takes away accountability. So this is where the well-known cyberbullying have its power. But even if the words are only in the internet, it still affects the person deeply. So in the fact, there's even a summit for YouTube's content creator from around the world because nothing beats the real human interaction. It's so important to have human interaction in real life and not behind a screen. So there is this, this is where trust is built and empathy and how we learn to innovate. Number two, we call it keep it manageable. So it's 150 max. So it's the number of Obey Dunbar. So it's the Professor Dunbar who conducted an extensive research that showed that people thrive most in group of 150. So group of 150 also allow for the greatest levels of camaraderie. So organizations should use that number as a benchmark when looking at social setting to yield greatest productivity. So keep your groups at no more than 150 people to reap the benefit of group cohesion and sense of tribal belonging. So if you are with us for a long time, maybe you have in your mind, oh, I think we talk about it. Yes, in the tribal leadership that Sabrina and Jean-Philippe cover. So if you want to learn more about it, you can go back and listen to this podcast. So the reason group function best when they do not get bigger than uh, about 150 people make perfect sense. So the concept that human cannot maintain more than 150 close relationship. So too, too many organizations will focus on cost efficiency, but will ignore the efficiency of human relationship. If we know people personally, the responsibility will be taken personally. So when your organization become bigger than 150, it's now time to put your top dog in a position of credibility and then they will have the impact uh, at their turn on the 150 people. So make sure when your organization is growing that everyone will keep the same speech when they are and um, will have their impact on 150 people at their turn. Number three, we call it the meet people you help. So getting a visual and a real world experience of the impact of your work will reward you and motivate you to do even more. So as a social animal, it is essential for us to see the people we help to better bring us closer to finding our why. So this also allows you to conduct your work from a place of compassion, having a better molded, the essential end goal in mind. So it is very important for us to see the real impact of our time and effort for our work to having to have meaning for uh, and for us to be motivated to do even better. For many of us, we never get to see the people whose live we touch it. So the closest we've, uh, we've got is from spreadsheet or poll. So in those numbers, we cannot simply feel the real emotion of the people. We just cannot. Number four is to give time, not money. Because the most precious thing in our life is our time. We can take it back no matter how hard we want it. So money can come from anywhere and we can earn if uh, simply if we work. So when you give your time to your friends, they will appreciate, appreciate you more. So unlike when they give you money, they wouldn't give you the same amount of respect and appreciation when you give time, when you give them time. A leader can, uh, can offer their time and energy to those in their care. So as a result of this, 
a desired butterfly effect can take place where those managers in turn be more willing to devote their time and energy to their subordinates. So it's a common misconception that money is the only driver, but the reality is that a leader who offers their time and energy to those below, below them will cultivate a workplace with people who are more willing to give their time and energy in return. So and the result is always going to be better work and better innovation. So remember, we value time and effort. We receive more than money. So one way to do this is to create an unshakable schedule so you know that people know where you are and when they can call you and know when they can uh, have your time. And number five is be patient. <laughs> Colin, between seven days and seven years. So <laughs> it takes time to develop a bond of love, love and trust. So it's between, yes, seven days and seven years. How long it takes really? We don't really know. But we know that when the time comes, we will know it, you will know it best. So it, it will create um, the, this trust. So we have no proof of how long it takes to finally have the feeling of deep trust to someone. But the strong positive feeling we may have after a first meeting someone or a great job interview it's not deep trust nor love it is a dopamine filled feeling so the good feeling makes us tend to think that we have found what we're looking for but trust takes time and there is no app that can speed it up so with duplicate duplicable system trust now will be built just like with our children and with trust now there's creativity so if you want to create creativity in your organization you need to be patient because nothing can beat the real human interaction. That's true. Human invented the social media just to simplify things, but just as any simplified thing, nothing beats the real thing. So now is the perfect time to finally improve how we look at people in our work life. Thank you, Marie-Pierre. Melanie, I just wrote to you, you landed absolutely the intro to this podcast. If you're just walking in the podcast right now, please go listen to the first half with Melanie Miller. And then Marie-Pierre, oh my God, you landed the five things we need to do. My takeaway, this is what I wrote down. So in closing, I said, Maria, what do you take away from this? Well, the first thing is trust in yourself, not to blindly lead, okay? Understand, I'm talking to me now, understand, Maria, how your actions can affect others, even if you can't see the effect, okay? Some of my favorite parts of what was, was, was discussed this morning is, one, no matter how rich or poor someone is, or where, where or when they are born, we all have the same 24 hours, 365 days. Look at Marie-Pierre, me, Melanie Miller, and all of you guys. We all have the same 365 days. If someone is willing to give us something of which they have a limited amount of, then this will be the greater value. So which we have, which the only thing we have very limited time of is our time. So when we give money, it's it, people are grateful, but truly appreciate and trust us is when we give them our time. The number two takeaway for me was the more abstract people become 
to me, Maria, right? The more capable we are, we are in doing them harm. That was a scary thought, Melanie Miller. When we read that part, I said, oh my God, oh my God. Number three, when we choose to stay above the clouds, relying only on information fed to us, instead of going down to see for ourselves, it will be harder to make the right moral decisions. And it makes it even harder to take responsibility for the failures. Anybody know here people that don't take responsibility? Mm -hmm. Okay. Number four, there was a story that I read in, in the process of the, the extra chapter where they say the death of one person is a tragedy. And yet the death of millions is but a statistic. That was scary thought for me. Okay. It's very scary thought. This is why you cannot be inundated in the news. It just makes you completely and more indifferent, contrary of what you think. Yeah, but I need to be informed. No, you're uh, you are watching the war in Ukraine as a statistic and not with with no intent of helping them out. In other words, it's become your new to reality TV show. And that is sad because we're giving the war power. Number five, what produces loyalty? That irrational willingness to commit to the organization, even when offered more money somewhere else, is the feeling that those leaders of the company would be willing to make any sacrifice for us. And Hamid, my son right now, is in that situation where he has opportunities somewhere else for greater pay but because the company treats him so well, he is not moving somewhere else. Remember, there is no such thing as virtual trust. Remember, so for all directors listening this morning, there is no such thing as virtual trust. Melanie, that makes me very happy to have kept my studio where I get the opportunity to meet many of my team members through maybe a brief moment, but it's enough to truly genuinely connect with them. So day to day for me, my takeaways from you, Marie-Pierre, is I'm more abstract a person is, the less empathy. So I need to make sure I'm meeting more and more people that are within my circle of influence. So for me, it's definitely my top leaders 2080. And for you as directors, I might as well, you know, talk in, in, in terms of being leaders, you need to meet with your people that are there Monday nights, that are involved, you know, so they know how much they matter to you. My number two takeaway from Marie-Pierre are the five, the five rules. Meet people you want to help face-to-face, -face, like touch them. So now I'm planning, I'm strategizing Melanie Miller on an annual Lydia Ma barbecue. I can't wait for 9.30. And Melanie's going, oh my God, oh my God, okay? Number three, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Or in my case, I, you know, pick up your messenger and send personalized voicemails. An actual fact, one of the things I've done as my five degree for my second half of the year is making sure I select five people that I don't regularly speak to, like Melanie Miller, she knows she's my quarterback. I have the opportunity to tell you, but I've chosen five people to whom I've sent personalized messengers to with my heart. So that's gonna be my five degree. So making sure that every month you have a very select number of people that they know that they know that you know they are amazing. 
Number four, I must understand how my actions affect my people. I can't stay in the, in the clouds. I need to get down to the salespeople. What are they doing? The recruiting people, what are they doing? This is exactly part of the five degree in the second half of the year. Time to meet with them will allow me to go over and above just the numbers. And when I meet with them, I will know what makes them happy. And if I know what makes them happy, then my job as a leader is to keep them safe. And this is what I've been providing, honestly, for the last 40 years, 35 years for my family. You know, it's really about keeping the people I am leading safe and happy, safe and happy. At the end of the day, this is what about. This is what it is, it is about. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us. I don't know what it gave you the podcast, but I know I am so excited for 930. I've got all these wild and crazy ideas that we're going. Yes, Melanie. Yes, you can hold your head all you want. That we're going to take on because you matter. Now for the podcasters, I think we should do a, a meet live just for our podcasters that are religiously there all the time. So anyways, I'm so, so excited. The rest to come. I love you guys. Happy Canada Day. And if you've enjoyed, please share. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.